Hi, it's Harris, and welcome to episode 9 of HP Talks. As a pre-warning, today's show will contain sensitive content about suicide. In today's episode, I am talking with a suicide prevention advisor from the organisation Papyrus. We discuss the misunderstanding of suicide, the excellent work Papyrus does, and how we can all work to help those who are thinking about suicide. Hi Josh, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And how are you, Harris? I'm good. I'm very good. It's it's good to hear an Aussie voice. Um, <laughs> appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. No, it, it is good. Um, so today's a very exciting episode, I think, in my opinion, and something I've I've liked to very kind of explore for a while. Um, and so Josh here works for. Am I correct? How would you pronounce it? Sorry. It's called, so the organisation is called Papyrus, yeah. and I work on the Suicide Prevention Helpline, which is called uh, Fantastic. And can you give us a bit more explanation about who you are and what do you do at the minute? Yeah, of course I can. So I work for an organisation called Papyrus, and the organisation was founded in 1997 um, by a bereaved a parent who, who lost their child to suicide. Um, and they, this person grouped together with a group of other parents um, who all lost their children to suicide and created the Parents Association for the Prevention of Young Suicide, mm. hence the name of virus. Okay? Um, <laughs> the, the reason our version of young um, suicide is individuals from zero up to the age of 35, the reason for that is that the young people who took their life um, were aged between 8 and 34 to the, to the founders of the organisation. So we wanted to be as inclusive as we could within that remit. Um, and since then, the role has kind of viruses gone bigger and bigger. And we have a, so for myself, I have a, we work on Hopeline UK, and that is a suicide prevention helpline. Um, and so my role itself, I kind of, um, I'm based predominantly on the phone, and we support people who contact our line, and we support with their thoughts of suicide, and potentially and hopefully work on a plan to keep them safe in that moment. Um, I also do I we go out delivering training. We do things like this podcast. Um, we the, 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 the role is multifaceted. The main part of it is speaking to individuals who currently going through something that is making them experience those sorts of suicide and looking for support around that. Right. And I've got to start off is the fact that you, the amazing work that you do cannot be praised high enough from people like myself. Um, and especially, I guess, the aspect of how multifaceted it is, as you mentioned there, must be a very interesting part of the role. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, like, what was the motivation from your aspect to, to, to be a part of this? and Yes, you're doing very good work, um, and it can, I can imagine, obviously, it can be very tough with the nature of the work that it is, but what motivated you to do this? I mean, the, the, 
I, my background is in, um, I have a degree in psychology, I have a master's in forensic psychology. So for me, I've, I've always, I've been drawn to that sort of, um, uh, that sort of altruistic helping, mm. if that makes sense. And I get a, always just, I've had a passion for supporting people. And, and, and if you don't have a passion for that, that sort of activity, this job isn't right for you. You have to have a passion to help people, want to help people and to see them continue that journey that they're on, you know? Mm. I think that's it. That's exactly it. I mean, I have, personally, I have an experience of my own thoughts of suicide past, and mm. I think that that helps, again, in understanding, okay, what would, it, what would I have liked at that time mm. and how what affected me back then, how I could help anybody else going through a very similar situation. Uh, yeah, and that's very powerful, um, the fact that your motivation behind it and you also, uh, you know, the interest that's, yeah. part, that's part of who you are. And I think, you know, I've, I've, I've not probably had, the, you know, the same kind of experiences and relationships to you, but I find it very much a tragic issue, um, as everyone should, the fact that, you know, what can drive someone to do this? And, the inner re- like there's no there's no reasons and like there's no reasons that we know of at the minute and how complicated it is like when I've done research for this and this is not trying to reflect of your view or the organization's view um but from the researches like when you look at it, it's a, a, a con- like a worldwide issue the statistic that I found was it was caught suicide is one point four percent representative of deaths worldwide and you look into research of how reasons for the japanese argument is the long working hours and the traditional aspects of the society the nordic issues regard it as the aspect of uh, little sunlight in certain months but in the uk the most common time this happens for, uh, for suicide is between spring and summertime april and may so there's not nobody knows is the message that i'm trying to send is the fact that it's, it's, it's hard to put a cause in it it's not as and with all mental health illnesses and uh, and other issues as well, the fact that yeah. there's no underlying cause of what you can do, which causes that to help make that prevention, if that makes sense, to help treat you. That's that's very true. I think that I think that you kind of you've kind of hit you know you, you've taken that aspect of um, different countries around the world, mm. different um, systems have their own idea of what uh, causes. An individual to contemplate suicide, um, but what maybe caused myself to think of it compared to the next person? Compared to the next person, there is never going to be one standardised answer for that. You know, um, is you mentioned the idea of it being January to May that it, within the UK there are the statistics increase, um, but that doesn't reflect on the idea of whether someone's had those thoughts throughout the year and whether they're taking this opportunity to, you know, they've, they've taken the, 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 the time to go, okay, now I'm going to die by suicide. Now is, is you know, I'm done. We don't know if it's built up to that. Mm-hmm. So it could be a, a confluence of factors have brought them to that point. So it could be any time within the year. It could be, for me, it doesn't, there is no, one time where I'm not busy, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, there's no one time where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a great shift where I know I can just sit and do nothing. You know, mm. I can sit and just 
do some other work, I know I'm going to be busy every shift. We kind of just spoke about then of like how, you know, there's such a complicated multitude of factors, not only just for different countries of how they view it, but like you said, how many, how different people view it, and it's so complicated, and you can't define it to one thing. Um, but how do you feel, and especially your organisations as well? How, what is the? How do you think of the overall UK's view from society? Mm. Their view of suicide at the moment. Do do we think this is still a lot in the, in the southern? There's a lot of prejudice against it, or it seems like there's been yeah. progress, but. I think you, 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 again, that, that word, maybe not so much prejudice against it, but um, I'd probably, as an SBA, go with the word taboo. Mm. Taboo around even mentioning the word suicide. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it is a, it's a word that's so strongly ingrained in our culture that, that is, it, it, it elicits an almost um, a, a physical response when someone says it, a recoil of, why are you feeling like that? Why are you thinking that? And you almost always want to, when somebody says, um, you know, if somebody said thinking about suicide, then people automatically want to help. They want to jump in and go, mm-hmm. what's going on? Why are you feeling that way? You know, and I think that that also kind of brings out that this is why people don't talk, maybe don't talk about it so much because they, they worry about maybe being ostracized. Mm-hmm. Um, they worry about not being taken seriously. That idea of they're just crying out for help, mm. um, or you know, they might feel like they're going to be bullied. They might feel unsupported. It, 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 again, there's no one thing for why society doesn't talk about it, but at the same time, there's one reason why people who are experiencing those thoughts don't talk about it. Mm. What we try and do, what we we hope for, is to allow people to feel comfortable enough to express how they're feeling and what's going on at that moment in time. Mm. And I think that's that must be the the most important thing is just to talk about it. And I guess it, it, there's still a barrier about talking about things, and not only just not only women as well, but I think men are kind of making that kind of leap forward of being more open and talking about their issues, um, that things that they may be thinking that may be bothering them. Um, obviously, this is we are kind of a, obviously we are a Western culture, and we are pre- previously a Christian society, and it. It goes back maybe from to the fact that suicide used to be a criminal act, and it used to be used to be in the name of God. And even then, it it wasn't until from my right is it the sixties that suicide was decriminalised? Yeah. So so one of the the points that I've noted that that a lot of people think is that idea of um, suicide being a criminal act. And as you said, sixties decriminalised, fantastic, but. The, something that happened very recently, um, actually in 2019, was a change from the idea of um, the, the criminal standard of proof, um, where in, it means that, that, that an individual who has died by suicide, a coroner has to be beyond reasonable doubt that an individual has died by suicide. So whether that means that uh, if there is a say a letter there, say someone's left a note that specifically states that they have they have ended their own life and this is why. Um, if that wasn't there, then then the the idea of suicide sorry somebody being labelled as a death by suicide couldn't happen. So it, it could be that 
it might never be registered on their on their on their death certificate that an individual died by suicide. Mm. Now we have changed that to not we, sorry, <laughs> the UK government and the society the, the society we live in um, through working through with virus and other organisations have changed the criminal standard of proof last year to the civil standard of proof, which now means that it's a balance of probabilities. So that means that a coroner can can make the choice. Is it did that was a was a death more likely than not to be suicide? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be black or white now. There is a bit of there is leeway with regards to someone to to make that decision. And a lot of families, that's very helpful to them because it it, it, it kind of puts a bit of closure and an understanding of what's happened, you know, rather than 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 just this un- nameless thing. On a, on a desk, yeah, on, on, you know, undisclosed, it allows them to have that closure they need. Um, one thing that you will find because of that change, though, is um, we're expecting to see an increase in the amount of deaths declared as a suicide mm. because previously people couldn't say exactly yes or no, whereas now they're allowed that balance of probabilities. Did they, was this more likely than not a suicide? Yeah, and that's that's a very interesting point of the aspect of we're likely to see an increase, and probably the statistics that have been going on from have been before two thousand nineteen have essentially probably been a bit not skewed but underrepresentative, and maybe maybe the fact that you know unfortunately this is the way that it could look at it is the fact that if more suicides are happening and it's actually been accurately portrayed of what they've been. That may influence more people, and with the higher statistics of like we've got more of a problem here than we thought we have. This needs more attention. Uh, this needs more resources going into it, and it for the, the general person on the street, the, it can maybe hopefully give them a shock, so we can listen more and work more as a collective to help, to actually help. Um, and I think in the, the society that we're in at the minute, we're all kind of grasping of the influence of data and how important it is. And regarding this, it, it, having more accurate data and reliable data on this particular issue is so important because it could be the, the difference of between different lives being lost at the end of the yeah. day. Um, yeah. And yeah, very much so. I think that it, what will what will hopefully come across is that it's not just it. It will highlight the the, the wider range of people who who could be influenced. By very many, by by lots more different things, and hopefully, as you said, it will it will bring into the public life a little bit more mm. about the the different influences that people are subjected to that makes them feel like suicide is an option. Mm. You know, um, it's the biggest killer. You know, it, it is the largest um, death rate for young people within the mm. UK, um, and it it certainly. What is causing that? It previously, if you know, if you only got a fraction of the of the statistics for those people, we don't have the full picture. Mm. We need the full picture to be able to support everyone and understand what is happening uh, uh, across different cultures, different ethnicities, different um, sexualities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Without statistics of this person definitely died by suicide, we can't do that. Mm. Um, I think yeah, that is that is really important. You spoke speaking about the reasons that's for there, 
Um, what have we seen a change of, of the influencing factors that have contributed to si- of suicides? Uh, we talk about in general how this is essentially what Papyrus like focuses on young people, and as you're a very different person when it pretty much throughout the first different 10 year stages of your life obviously when you're in your teenagers obviously some people have worse upbringings than others which can influence factors but do we see the point i'm trying to get to do we see a change of influencing factors between when you're teenagers and who are suffering from suicidal thoughts and those in their 20s okay uh that's a that's a really good question i just want to go back slightly to one thing you just mentioned, you mentioned that um, some people have a, potentially a worse upbringing than others. Um, whilst that can have an effect on people who are having thoughts of suicide, certainly if they're phoning us up, we will, if that is what is affecting them, mm. then, then we'll talk about that. But it doesn't always have to be that they've had a bad upbringing. You know what I mean? It could be they, somebody could have had what society sees as the best upbringing. Ever, the, the, the most perfect upbringing, but an individual can still have those thoughts of suicide. Something can still fit for them strong enough that they don't want to be here anymore. So we need to remember it's not just because on the outside things look great. We understand that it's not always the truth, the same on the inside. Mm. Um, with regards to what you said about, or you were asking, coming back to what mm. you were asking about, um, the difference between teenagers and adults, um, and when I say adults, we're talking 20 plus yeah. for your example. Um, it's, I think it's hard to say that there is a big difference between the, the, the different things that are affected because as a young person in, the, in a teenage years, you're still influenced by potentially relationships. A relationship goes sour or, you know, for one of examples, you could have um, money issues. So as a teenager, you need money, you're not being able to get it. As an adult, you still need money, you're not able to get it. I think the biggest part that is, is probably the major difference, though, is, is that you, as a younger person, and I, we were discussing this just before the podcast started, about education. Yeah. As a younger person, you're in education, and you have that as your focus up until 18. Then after that, it's if you haven't gone to university, or if you do go to university, it's then once up, what happens after that it's you're entering a, a completely different world where you're expected to be an adult. You, you are expected to work for yourself. You're supposed to look after yourself and that sort of thing. And that can be very hard for that transition period for young people can be quite hard. I think that's something that we do see. So I think it's that transition from education to the workplace can be a very big factor in for individuals experiencing forced suicide. I think that's a very important point as well, uh, is the fact that essentially when you're a kid as well, you've kind of got this kind of more structure in your life. And, you know, you've got to do this and you do this and you do this. And then you've got that brought up essentially throughout all your life. And then you finish school or you finish university and you're like, okay, here's the world. And this is, you've got to address it. And that can, that can be very daunting as well. And, I, you know, I joke around with a lot of my friends when we left university. Some of them are like, no, I don't want to take a master's because I'm not ready for the world of work. And we joke about it and then like, oh, I've got to go into the big bad world. Um, you know, you make jokes about it and, you know, it's an, it's an issue and people adapt different ways than others. And it's, 
that's an the fact that that's an influencing factor makes a lot of sense because it's something that I've had to personally experience and a lot of people as well. Another point I'd also like to point out in regards to the background issue that we spoke about before is thank you for pointing that out as well. And this is how it's important to have someone like you on this and to discuss it with you because. So while I completely understand that, like it, that was a comment that I was trying to support a different, to support well, not support the argument, to explain the argument, and obviously it, it, it's not it's not it it can have a damaging effect without me knowing it, and to have people like you to explain this, it it's so important for anyone that's ever listening, and to how how what they say can be portrayed. Um, so thank you for holding me up for that, and. I really, I want to, I, we're, we're thanking each other, Harris, I want to thank you for, for taking it on board. You know, mm. it is something because, as you said, it's something that we don't realise how a slip of the tongue can be very damaging to an individual, mm. you know, and we have to, we try to empathise with everyone we talk to on Hopeline UK and understand that each, each individual is different. That's the word, it's individual. It's an individual situation and we can't, Use a, a catch-all like system. Make sure everybody's okay. Um, so one thing I do is, is interesting. It was the aspect of it. There's more people. It's kind of shifting topic, but this um, more males, and especially I didn't realize this was in if young people as well commit suicide more than females. Um, and. It's strange how this has an effect of, you know, it's, you wouldn't think it's a discriminatory thing that happens. Um, what would you say that is your, your and your organization's view of not only maybe why this is, but from your experience of kind of why this is? I'd feel free to answer however you may feel because I understand it's a very difficult. No, no, look, so again, um, so I'm going to diverge slightly. Um, just to pick up on something that, that this is the first time you said it, so I'm going to raise it so we can talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think that this, as an organisation, we believe that this is a very important thing to say. Um, so a lot of people talk about the idea of committing suicide. Mm. Um, and that word commit has a connotations to an offence. Right, okay. Okay, so, so it's that idea of you've committed an act, you are potentially offending, Makes it sound wrong, if that makes sense. So it's that it's quite again, it's a visceral thing for an individual here. You're doing something wrong. So we, when we talk over for myself and, and my colleagues, when we talk um, to an individual, we try to change the language to say, you know, if you're talking to someone like you are looking to die by suicide. You know, right. are you are you thinking about suicide? Not. The word we try to omit the word commit, right, to allow people to feel more comfortable expressing what they're feeling, without feeling like they might be judged for it. Right. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, we just had a conversation then about like the the subliminal things that you don't think about, yeah. and and this is what is a great thing about having you on. Of anyone that's listening as well, is the fact that we all like we underestimate how important language is, and. Yes. And um, thank you for pointing out that again. Of it's just a simple word. Again, man, I, it's certainly not. It's something that we see all the time, mm. and it's not something that we're we're saying people are wrong to say it. It's just that we we try to use inclusive language to enable people to feel comfortable, as I say, talking 
about what's going on for them. And I think that the, the, as, long, as, as well as the word suicide being so strong and a hard thing for people to talk about, as soon as they hear that word, that, that commit word, mm. it again, it's quite a strong word. It makes people maybe a bit defensive and so mm. we just try to stay clear of it. Mm. Is there an aspect of it makes feel people who have the thoughts but are not sure in their opinion like of where they're going to go, does it make... Is there an argument that it makes them feel bad as well? Is the fact that they're not willing or they've not got it to do it, if that makes sense? Yeah. Answer, you're answering your own question there, really. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, the, again, it's, it's back to that individualistic thing. If somebody feels that, uh, that, that they... I'm going to change it slightly. I've spoken to people who have expressed thought that, that they feel like a coward for not being able to go through with the act. Mm. And so, use, again, utilising that, that the, the C word, uh, <laughs> for want of a better phrase, yeah, dropping the C word, um, for wanting the, the, to take that away allows them not to feel so cowardly or, mm. or like it's been put on them, that they're a failure for not completing something. Do you mm. see what I mean? So, yeah. it, again, it's individual opinions on that word. So we try and just steer clear of it to allow people, as I say, to feel comfortable talking to us. Yeah, no, that make, that fully makes sense, and that's something that I will now take, and hopefully anyone else that listens to it, in my daily life, uh, yeah. if I'm ever addressing this. Um, regarding this, um, what is your view and the organisation's view of the reasons that the disproportionate between male suicides and and female suicide, because this is reflective in the younger level, younger level as well, yeah. isn't it? So, as, as an organisation, and certainly as a, as a, a suicide prevention advisor, um, we talk about the... Uh, so, so, first of all, I'm going to just briefly like, talk about some research around that idea of men... Sorry, boys versus girls, should we say, okay? Um, there is research that highlights that, that guys are more likely to complete suicide, um, maybe because they're less likely to talk about it, maybe that, you know, their feelings and that sort of thing. So there is, there is research around that. So they might not ask for help or talk about their depression mm-hmm. or talk about their thoughts that they're having. Um, women have been found, sorry, girls, again, <laughs> have been found to have suicidal thoughts more often than men. But as you said, the rates of guys dying by suicide is, is higher. Um, but what is, what, what, on the flip side of that as well, though, there is a, despite the suicide rate being higher for men, women actually have higher rates of suicidal ideation and suicide behaviours than men. So further research, again, highlights that men, uh, sorry, males um, attempt suicide in a, in a, in a, a, a in a more violent way, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. than women. So, uh, women that the twice as many women have been found to use non-violent methods of suicide, and we, we won't talk about any of the methods. So, I'm I, just uh, just to say, because obviously that's something quite triggering for anybody listening to the show. Um, and so, again, it, it, there could be a difference in, in mortality rate because males and females there's a difference in method. Is it that men are more have, have, have completed the, the suicide because of the, the violent act that they've undertaken, whereas women have been able to seek support 
before um, succumbing to what they've done. Yeah, no, that that's that's a very good answer, and and I could sense that he was like, you've just kind of given me a lesson of what to of what to say and the right words to say, and he was trying to like correct yourself while he was doing it. It is. It's um. I mean, I, as I'm talking to you, I'm having to take a step back, think about the words that I'm using. It doesn't come naturally. Um, even though I do this as a job, I you know I'm work I work five days a week doing this sort of activity, helping people who are having these thoughts. It doesn't come naturally to say these things in that way. So I'm having to think about what am I saying to someone about this? Um, but getting back to, I know the one that you're, you're talking about, difference between boys and girls in general. And one of the points that you wanted to talk about, and I'm kind of going to it, is that idea of um, self-harm. Yes. Do you okay to talk about that as well? Yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to, to speak about this. Cool. So... We took, you, you highlighted when we were discussing this in general. You highlighted mm. that um, suicide attempts appear more common in boys, uh, but there is a significant difference in the girls' self harm so much more than boys. And you asked whether anyone had found a reason for that. So I kind of feel that that impacts on that question of the difference between boys and girls in suicide rates. Um, and I think the, the the one thing from working. Personally, from experience from working on, on, on Hopeline UK and listening to the calls I'm getting, um, guys are self-harming. Mm. There's not, there is, I wouldn't say that, and this is just my own opinion of this, that there is a, a, a huge difference between the amount of boys and girls who are self-harming. Mm. It's more that guys do find it hard to, to use to say that that's what's happening, that that's mm. what they're doing, you know? The words that they use can be can be a little bit. They might be a little bit more reticent about saying they've hurt mm. themselves or they've done something like that. Again, there is no answer for why they're doing that. But it, it comes back to there isn't that much of a difference between guys and girls with self harm. So it depends on whether people aren't talking about it as to why there is such a, a difference between guys and girls in achieving um, death by suicide. Sense. No, that makes good sense, and I'm really glad that you pointed that up because I was trying to think of the best way to address that issue. And with the explanation that you kind of gave, then is with it also made me bring me think to the fact of people that I've been around, people that have uh, had certain mental health issues, and I've seen people who have I've had friends who've been boys who've punched stuff, and and maybe with the aspect of when boys are punching things out of anger, where they've been doing things. And, there's been an issue where they've done it because they've wanted to hurt themselves. However, the outside view, people think it as is just letting off some steam. And this could be uh, this could be another multitude of factors where you're disregarding of not disregarding, but you're not understanding of where it's coming from. Yeah. So the, the one thing that we when we when an individual calls our service, the first thing we do um, is we will ask them straight away if they've called our service and, and they're having thoughts of suicide but then we will, we will give them the space to actually talk about what's going on for them without judgment we don't know them that allows that anonymity for someone to feel comfortable in saying potentially for the first time this is what I'm thinking of this is what I'm doing um, and one, I mean self-harm again is such a 
I'm really glad that you used the idea of um, someone just punching a wall and showing aggression and getting aggression out because self-harm isn't just that idea of, of, uh, of what we see. It's not a, there's not always a, a, there's not one version of self-harm. Um, it can be, you can be financially self-harming yourself. You know, you could be in a behavior that means that you're splur splurging all your money. As soon as payday comes, you're, you're using all your money and going out enjoying yourself and that's potentially a sign of self-harm as well you know there isn't just one physical self-harm there is also mental self-harm as well and still self-harming behaviors around that yeah um yeah. That, that yeah that's a very important point i've never really kind of looked at it that is the fact that the aspect of financial self-harm it, it, it's because i guess at the end of the day if, if you're going it's that extra detachment from reality maybe that you're wanting um, yeah. and maybe not kind of having to think about the things that are really affecting you and maybe you just want to escape which at the end of the day it's that's not a complete bad thing to do we all live for escapism whether it's going out yes maybe in moderation maybe from going to the football from going to a gig we all have that natural aspect of escapism um and it, it's so subtle and sometimes so hard that you can see and in the aspects of what you, the example that you gave there, it's easy just to see, it's hard to see that we might just have a friend that likes to go out and, you know, them, we don't see them as maybe burning the candle at both ends and maybe maybe as in the aspect of trying to get away from issues that they've really got. Um, and I'm really glad that you pointed that out because um, I never thought about it like that and I'm sure other people haven't maybe thought about it like that. Um, it's that idea, I think for, for a lot of guys, it's that idea of we have a, a big thing in society right now, toxic masculinity, don't we? So that your example of people burning it at both ends, um, society as a it, it, as a group of guys, we may think, great, look at that guy really enjoying himself. Mm. But when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, it's like, well, is he doing that? Is he actually enjoying himself anymore? Mm. Or is that literally, as you said, escapism and just wanting to, to, to detach from what's going on for them in general? Yeah, that's that. That is a very good point. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about as well, I think, when the what is I think is really important is is there um from your kind of your experience and from your organisation's experience is there a disproportionate number of ethnic minorities and those of LGBTQ backgrounds that are committing society? So so not committing as in that are take, thinking about suicide and that considering suicide. Of course. So, um, first of all, with regards to that, there is no, there's a lack of information from the um, Office of National Statistics mm. um, around ethnic minorities and the LGBTQ plus um, in, uh, groups in, within the UK. Um, so, anything that I'm saying right now is from personal experience of talking on of what I've spoke, who I've spoken to online. Uh, sorry, on, over the phone. So, as I say, there's no actual statistics that we can take to say, yes, this group is at high risk or that group's at high risk. Um, but one of the things that, you know, certainly I have spoken to people who are from many different types of, of ethnic background, um, you know, for, from who are, uh, they may be British or they may be from overseas or... They may have a, a different sexuality, maybe a different gender. They, they again, there's so such a wide range of, of, of 
individuals that we can't say, yes, there is any one thing, that there is a higher proportion of that group saying X, Y, and Z. One, the one thing I will point out, though, is that because we are anonymous and confidential, people don't often, um, well, not don't often, so people don't always advise the, of their ethnicity or their gender or their sexuality mm-hmm. because it might not be that that's actually making them feel like suicide is an option. So it might not be something that is actually applicable to what's going on for them right there and then. You know, so. Yes, until we have proper statistics around um, the different groups within the UK, and and certainly then, as we said earlier in this talk, that you can tailor support to different groups then, we have to, we as a service just treat everyone as an equal, and would even if moving forward there is a focus on one group in the media, calling our service doesn't make a difference to me who an individual is. All I'm seeing is an individual who is experiencing thoughts of suicide and looking for support. Um, and that's, that's if it is their ethnicity, if it is their sexuality that's causing them to feel that way, we'll explore that, we'll talk about it. But certainly, it doesn't always come up. No, and that, that's, to be fair, like I said, that's, that's understandable, is the fact that it, just because someone is from... Uh, one of them groups it doesn't necessarily mean that that is causing them to feel that ways however there may be aspects of the marginalization and the pressure people from them groups have felt that it yeah. does cause them um and like you said i like the aspect as as an organization you treat them as an equals um maybe i don't know whether this is an organization that you maybe have to think imagine you get trained so much in in dealing with people from different these different areas um and that must take a lot of the and it must be quite interesting as well because you have to learn so much about what these people have experienced and what they are experiencing and this and this is the aspect i don't it, it's and and it's it's hard to it, at times it, it's hard to people can say that they and we're seeing it now from the black lives matter movement is the fact that people are more understanding from these marginalized groups of, of what they are and it, it, from some people, it is hard to understand because they see it from the overall surface and they think, oh, well, you know, I get along with them. I've got, I've got no issue with them. Like, like they, I'm, I'm not going to see it, but it's deeper than that and it's a lot more than that. When an individual calls myself, I mean, we, we, we are trained in suicide prevention. Mm. Um, we're all, every person who is on the helpline mm. uh, is trained to a certain, to, to the same standard. Okay? Mm. But we also all come with our own backgrounds and um, knowledge. Mm. So internally, we're, we're, often, we're constantly training each other in different aspects and that sort of thing. So if, some, if we are hearing something that we don't know a lot of information about, we will seek training on that to bring us up to that level. And it is a constant constant learning. There is no, there is no stopping with it. Um, I think that the, the, there can never really be a focus on one group with it because yeah. at the same time you then have a it's at the detriment of someone else and to mm-hmm. go back to your to, to the example that we've been talking about of, of guys versus versus girls but <laughs> the guys and girls um when we talk a lot about um women sorry guys being pushed in the media as in oh you know there's a lot more guys who are who are dying by suicide we talked about that um 
is that at the detriment of girls? Does that mean that we're then not talking about girls? And one of the things that our organization, the Pirates, uh, have done is last year we we highlighted uh, something called Don't Forget the Girls. It's kind of, yes, we're focusing a lot on men right now, but young girls and young women are also in the same position. You know, mm. it, Just because we're focusing on that group doesn't mean that, that the other group's gone away. Awesome. Does that make sense? And it's kind of like we need to do everything we can to stop deaths between both men and women. And, 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 and everybody in general, you know. Um, and so we can't forget about the girls. We need to open a conversation with them as well, at the same time as men, to talk about suicide. Mm. You know, we need to help them um, as, just as much as everybody else. And so that's why I talk about every group being equal. I focus it, if we ever focus on one group, it's going to be at the detriment of any other group in general. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so one thing that we've we've already kind of spoken about, and which is quite interesting, is the the generalization of certain words. So and this is not just with suicide, but it's with mental health as well. We see people say, "Oh, uh, I'm depressed," or you know, or this this makes me want to, I, I you know, this or that makes me want to top myself. Which I'll do. You know, there's people that are this insensitive, and they say these things. For anyone that's listening. What advice can you give to kind of look and view of themselves and eradicate that from their language from the better overall good? Uh, in, in, so do you mean, I think, so, so I understand the question. You're asking, when, when we discussed this, you said that you're talking about terms like I feel depressed or mm. uh, a certain show makes me want to top myself, is yeah. the example you used. And, and how does... That, are you asking then how does that affect people who are having those thoughts? No, or? the sorry, the the line of question was of that. we've no, kind sorry, of just we, so I can make sure that I'm answering the right. No, hundred percent. This is a very sensitive topic, and it's we need to make sure that we're along the same lines. Uh, yeah. We've cut from my understanding from the conversation. We've kind of addressed that. You know, this is of the implications of what this language has, and the, the generalization of these words. Um, and we've already kind of under like we've kind of already like it's ex- kind of exposed the fact that how how it's how can easy it can be and how forgetful we are that we can say these things and we're not aware sometimes that we are the advice that i'm trying to get sorry the question that i'm trying to say is the fact that obviously you've had training on this and what advice can you give for the wider people of us to kind of stop saying these things and make us aware like what is what are the things that we can do that can overall help us as a society to help other people Okay, I mean, simple answer. There is a so simple answer is to talk. Mm. It doesn't make it. I don't believe um, uh, as a as an SBA. I don't believe that um, any conversation is a good conversation or a suicide. Mm. Having having that direct discussion with someone, allowing them the space to talk, um, is good. So. We've talked about the C word. Mm. If you use it, don't beat yourself up. You know, mm. I, as I, I, I mentioned before, I have to step back and think about what I'm saying. Mm. And it's that. It's just take a step back and think to yourself, how would I like to be approached? Mm. How would somebody, if somebody wanted to talk to me about um, my own mental health, what would I want them to say to me? Would I want them to come up and be really forceful and, and direct and, and, and really 
aggressive with it? Or would I rather they just ask me and then give me some space to respond? And the most powerful thing that I think that we use on Hopeline UK is that space to respond. It's literally silence. People often um, have a need to fill up an empty space. <laughs> and so especially when you talk to someone on the phone, and you can try this, just having, having a conversation with someone, asking someone something and then going quiet, gives them the space to not feel pushed to talk, but it gives them the space to go, okay, I need to think about how I'm going to respond. So much, in much the same way that I take a step back to, to think about how I'm going to ask something, we also need to give the other person the space to respond to them. I think that's one of the, for us, it's one of the most important parts of, mm. of, of talking about suicide, is knowing that it's such a, a sensitive topic, knowing that we are talking about um, another person's life. We have to accept that we can't push, you can't push, you can't. My, one of my favorite um, things to ask someone is, is to say to them, if I'm talking to a concerned other, say I'm talking to a parent who's concerned about their, their child, and they say to me, I ask, I've asked loads, you know, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And I say to them, look, think back to when you were your child's age, say you were 16, and your parents turned around to you and said, what's going on? How are you feeling? What's going on? What's going on? The first thing you do is get really angry that they keep pushing because you're like, I'm all right, just leave me alone. But if they asked once and gave you some space, you might respond, but you might not. And it's that idea of, okay, or you can, if someone doesn't want to talk to you after you've said to them, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on? Are you thinking about suicide? If they don't want to talk, accept that, but just say, I'm still here, right? You know, it, 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 just let them know you're here when, when and ready to listen when they want to talk. And that's what giving that space really is a powerful tool but a lot of people don't remember that they have because they want to fill up that silence and they want to jump in and save something. You've made me think about it. I had a friend who, she told me about this and I just, like, it made me feel kind of, it was quite wholesome when I first heard it, but she told me that when her and her sister was growing up, her dad said, this is a notepad. Um, it's always going to be in this drawer. If there's anything that you want to talk about but you don't want to talk about, write it up and give it to me. And I will do with what you can. And it's just, and it felt really awesome at the time. I thought that's really nice. But the, the way that you kind of explained that aspect there of, you know, of being able them to, to speak to them, but give them the time to respond, and it, it kind of it grows a significance of what that girl told me about what she experienced with her family. Um, I don't know what your opinions on on that kind of method, but um, so it's had a different again. Very different. Every family, every individual can be different. And with regards to, say, for example, then of using a notebook, it doesn't mean that that, per that, 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 young, that, that young person is going to write in there that they are thinking of suicide. Because let's, if we think about it, who else? If, we, if, if everybody knows in that household that that book's there, how comfortable would someone feel laying themselves that open yes. to potentially everyone who's around them? Yeah, that, that's, that's actually so a good point. I think it's a really great thing to do. And I, I, I mean, I could potentially use that when I'm talking to my wife, you know, mm. actually, here's a notepad and here's all the things I'm thinking. Um, but it still doesn't mean that that's actually what's going on in my head in that one moment. If I, have a fleet, if, if I were to have a fleeting thought of suicide and say I was outside the house or I was, I was even if, if you were upstairs in the bedroom, would you then think, I'm going to go downstairs and write it in that book? 
you yeah, see what I mean? I get so what it's you mean, kind yeah. of like there isn't a right or wrong answer as to how to have a conversation with someone, but that's why I keep coming back to for me it's it's always about that space, just giving mm-hmm. someone letting them know you can come talk to them. Yeah. That, that there's no judgment that, that a parent or a concerned over or a partner isn't going to judge me, isn't going to make me feel like, that, you know, if I say something that, that the world's going to end, that all, it, all the, the best thing that someone can do is say, let's get support together. I'm here for you. Yeah. They are the most reassuring words I guess you can really hear. Um, yeah, that was, I'd like to move on a little bit as well. Well, that was very fascinating. So one of the topics kind of we discussed priorly was which i'd like to explore is how have we seen media influence suicide and specifically social media yeah so i think that i social media in general so let's put it let's put it this way uh social media just like traditional media mm-hmm. um it's got both positives and negatives it's great for um Let's do the negatives first, because I'd, I'd like to end on, you know, with regards, if we're talking about social media, let's, let's get some negatives out of the way so that we can, can power through with some positives, you yes. know. Um, if we're talking negatives, you've got individuals dealing with cyberbullying. I've heard a lot of talk about cyberbullying. Um, the anxiety that comes from, um, I'm going to use the phrase, keeping up with everybody, like keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with everybody, or all your other friends, and you look like they're having a wonderful time, and you're just sitting there getting Everybody else looks like they're having a great time. Um, I've heard stalking. I've heard people talk about they've been stalked online, you know, people harassing them. It's that, I think it's that idea of social media can really put a, impractical expectations on people of what life is. And that can really have, that's the, can have such a negative effect on an individual's thinking. When they're sitting there, they're looking at the phone, they're looking at their computer, they're looking at their tablet, and they're seeing what looks like everybody else doing such great things and then them question themselves whether they're actually doing anything or not you know you feel like um you feel like you're missing out yeah i think one thing that is in the aspects of kids which i've heard this example for um and it's quite concerning is the fact that when kids are growing up now and with the aspects of social media they essentially have to create a brand for themselves um yeah. and this is the concerning thing as well and it, it can go one of two ways. Obviously, you can have the pressure of, you know, of having to feel like you need to keep up, like you said, um, and having to do things as well, which which can be, as a kid, you think it's it can be very tough at times. Uh, but you've recently also got the things of the fact that if you, you say something when you're a kid um, and you don't get rid of it, and at the end of the day, I, I always stand by this, you have a go at someone for thinking that they, they're the same from what they were 10 years ago, then... You've not you've missed something because we all change all the time. And in the space of when yeah. you're a kid and when you're an adult, and you pick something up, right? That person might, will be if they've said something. It's that can completely damage them in the future, even though that's not what they think. Yeah. Um. And this is one of the as- damaging aspects of social media. And and what once you it, you put your laundry is published. Um. And it's. And as soon as it's posted, even though you take it down, someone else can have a copy. And then, then it's out of your control, which is another negative aspect of social media. And we see this a lot with cyberbullying. Yep. Um, and there's, you're not in, 
the aspect of brand having to create your own brand and the aspect of not fully in control of once something that you put out that it's ever yours anymore. Yeah, so I think that that's uh, that's a that's a hard point to quantify as to mm-hmm. how much. Uh, I, I have I, I'm going to admit I have spoken to people who have had been exposed on the internet. Shall we say mm. for some you know for yeah. for for a myriad of reasons I have had experience of speaking to people who deal with that. Um, but what what I actually hear from them is is it, it's it's a there's a generation growing up who are very mindful of that and who are aware of of social media and that sort of thing. I don't know how old you are, I don't know how old I am, but, but you know, back in the early noughties, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that we were so concerned about. And as you, you expressed then, maybe 10, you know, people who are, they're looking back 10 years ago and saying X, Y, and Z, we only, there, there's a, it's a, it's a group of individuals who are really being exposed to that sort of behavior at the moment. Because yes, 10 years ago, they may have said something that's being brought up. Um, but whether it's, if that's a if that's a triggering point for them to feel like suicide is an option, then we can explore, we'll explore that with them and understand why they feel that, that is so 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 powerfully about that issue. But what we've got to remember is that, that there is a whole generation coming up underneath them who are completely aware that everything they put online is going to be could be misconstrued mm. at some point. And so, is a lot more your use of the word brand. They are a lot more astute to selling themselves in a certain way and that can also but that goes back to that negative of who's the real person behind the brand you know so is it is it that say somebody put something up 10 years ago and yes it was meant as a joke but times have changed and they've admitted that they were wrong back then and in which case great that's a you know that could be the realistic person but we don't know that that's all that's going on for them right now that's causing them to feel like suicide is an option. I think it's a loaded, it's a bit of a loaded question, you know, with regards to whether individuals who have put something on social media, whether that's then have an impact on them later on in life. We can't, if we stopped and judged everything like that, we wouldn't talk. Yeah. We wouldn't say anything to anyone. Um, and that's that, again, that comes back to that safe place that Hopeline UK offers in that you can talk to us about that and say, okay, this, I said this. This is the outcome. This is what I'm feeling. Okay, let's explore that. Where can we go to help you to deal with that? What can you do to help yourself deal with that? Whether it's potentially, maybe they have to put their hand up and own that they said it and that they were wrong. And people sometimes don't forget about the, the, the impact. We talked about the impact of words. And someone saying, I'm wrong and I'm sorry, is a huge thing. So potentially, they just needed a safe place to be able to understand that saying they were wrong and sorry is a good thing, you know. So it's it's a it's a minefield is basically what I'm trying to say with that one. Hundred percent. I think one point you said Dan, I don't want to delve too deep into it because no, no, it's, any, uh, it's the aspect of being exposed uh, with some yeah. issues. And I think you made a good point, and it's something that I've kind of all, all felt for a long time is the fact that as this has become more popular in the younger generations, and I think it's the responsibility of as many people as possible, especially my generation, is that if that's exposures ever has been exposed i wouldn't see it as a negative effect on them i think it's more i would view negatively the person that has done the exposure what i'd like to move on to a little bit now is more aspects of what now how important the aspect of early intervention is okay um before we do that 
Um, are you, I hope you're okay with this, but I'd just like to throw out some positive aspects of the of social media. Sorry, actually. We, sorry, yeah, sorry. actually, I was I meaning to do that in myself and I get off on a tangent because... It's um, all right, man. I just, obviously, I, I know that, because that's what I, I don't want it to come across as that, as that, uh, that we have a, uh, as an organisation or even an individual that I have a, that we have um, a negative aspect of social media because we utilise that in such a positive way. Um, and certainly one of the things that I know that, that you want to discuss is, is right now, social media is fantastic for those people who are feeling lonely because mm. it increases their contact with friends, reducing their isolation. Um, it improves their own confidence. You know, uh, it, it, it improves their own self-awareness to a point as well. So we've got to remember that there is a positive to social media as well, not just those negatives to it. And certainly one of the best things about social media for our service is a as, as suicide prevention is that we often get told that people have found our details through their social media. So people like yourself who are doing a podcast, sharing it out there, it's it, people are then going, okay, that's great. That's who I need to talk. You know, that's who I want to talk to about what's going on in my head right now, about what I'm going through. And so without social media, that message may not have gotten out there as much as it, as it does. So there is a huge benefit to social media. Yeah, I'd like to add to that as well, actually, because I did mean to make this point, but I went off in my own little tangent. Um, <laughs> it's the fact that it, friendships have been created with people like-minded as well that have had the, that have also had these same issues that may have never ever meet each other or people that may have not been able to speak about this or have been comfortable with this. People sometimes as, as, feel more comfortable speaking to someone that they've never met before than some of their families. And also people make friends online massively as well. Um, you know, I've made friends of playing games online and then they've met, then they've gone and met in person and while there needs to be safety precautions when doing that they've become great friends and it reduces that aspect of loneliness which can be an influence of suicide um and i would also praise social media of the, of the influence it has on that and also especially during the pandemic and the lockdown period of how it's kept people together um i don't know about yourself but i call my friends back home and we you know, we spend time together what like we would on a weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. But we do it over Zoom and and and, and you know we we kept that social interaction. So it is not all bad. Um, but like with anything, it's it's such a multifaceted, complicated it is. thing that we've got at the minute, and we don't really fully grasp the power of it, if both in a positive and a negative light. Um, so yes. That is, it, I'm glad that we can end on a positive in that and the benefits that it can do um, in, in society and for helping people that are thinking about suicide. Um, one, the next bit I'd like to speak about is I'd like to speak about this issue and then I kind of like to speak about more about what you as an organisation can do, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So we, I, before we spoke about the positives I'd like to highlight how crucial is the early intervention because people can say it kind of goes that back to that disregarding thing is the fact that I'm thinking about suicide people can maybe or it may be a subliminal message that people can pass off how important is it to recognise that very early on okay um I think it, it, early early intervention is um it's crucial. It's mm. it's you think you know the earlier that you can talk to an individual, sorry, not an individual person about their thoughts of suicide, um, the higher 
the chances that they're going to be able to get support and feel supported and not follow through with that act. They might not reach. Early support may ensure that an individual doesn't reach a precipice with their thoughts and feelings around suicide. They they won't reach that that, that point where they're, they're, they're really on the edge, you know, mm-hmm. so early intervention is crucial. But what we, what, what we would and do tell people who are supporting other people is you can't always tell. I think you don't know what's going on in an individual's head. The only way to do that, as we've already talked about, is to ask and to give space. What if is... someone wants to Sorry. tell you that they're having those thoughts, they will do. But the be- and you could you could ask them say you know you could ask them right now I could ask you if you're having thoughts of suicide and you'd look at me and say no not at all yeah. it doesn't stop you then from the ne- me from the next day asking you that same question and mm-hmm. then saying to you look I'm just here for you I'm just worried yeah just so they know but I wouldn't hound you with that question you know early mm-hmm. intervention is key mm-hmm. and it really does support people who are having thoughts. But you don't have to over-egg that. Mm. You, know, you don't have to constantly hound someone. If they've, said, if they've said no, take them at their words, but just let them know you're still there if they do want to talk. And I think this is a very, very important question for anyone that's listening that may ever experience it, that what would you say is the best, what advice would you give to someone that has had someone close to them, or not close to them, come up to and said to them, because it's been big on the person that's telling them, I'm thinking about suicide. And as the receiver of that information, obviously, you don't completely disregard them. You're thinking about the main person that's telling you. But it can be difficult to have to take that in. And you don't, as a person that's receiving that information, you don't want to impact the person further. What advice would you give to someone who's receiving that information and how to respond? Okay, so um, Papyrus, as an organisation, on our website, the papyrus-uk, uh, .org, we have a um, help and advice resources section that has something we call conversation starters. Mm. And it's literally an A4 page and it highlights different examples of how to have a conversation with someone about suicide. And it begins with if they've come to you and they've expressed they're having those thoughts, then you're already on step two. If you're on step one, it begins with how to ask someone about their thoughts. Step two is acknowledging them, saying to them, I'm hearing what you're saying. I hear that you're having these thoughts. What's, what's happening right now? What's going on for you to feel that way, you know? And then, as we keep coming back to, allowing them the space to, to think about what to say. It's a, such a, it may be the first time they've ever said yes word. It might be the first time they've ever said that they don't want to be here. It might be the first time they've ever even expressed that they're not okay and so we have to remember how powerful a moment that can be for someone um and so giving them the space to then to then open up and explore it with them they may not want to talk right there and then and as i've said a few times say to them look okay i'm here if you want to talk i'm here when you want to go into this a little bit more i'm here to help you and support you to find something else because we've got also got to remember it's too big for any one person. It's too big for it's too big for you. It's too mm. big for me to hold on to myself. I have a team around me of people who mm. support me after every call because it's too big for one person to hold on to. So you've got to reach out for that help, and that's what you're telling this other person is: you're telling me you want to die, and I'm hearing you, and I want to help. 
So let's go find that support and let's get some support for you and for me, you know? That's, that's a very powerful kind of thing is to, to hear as well. And it goes back to the aspect of like needing space. And if anyone's listening that's had someone confess to them and they don't know what to do, please go to the Virus website. Um, yeah. It, please Quick go callers, and do that. Callers, you can... You can actually, one of the things that I haven't mentioned, and I probably should have at the start, so I'm going to say this right Go now, as, long as, as well as doing the telephone stuff that we do, we also have an email and a text line, um, because young people, and anyone, actually I say young people, but anyone, it can be hard to say those words first of all, say, this is what's going on. So a lot of people like that idea of I'm texting or, or emailing to start that conversation. And we can do that as well. So it doesn't just have to be vocally. It can be through the written word. Yeah. And I can't stress how important and how happy like, it makes me like the work, the work that people like you do and you know the effort that you put in. It, it is incredible. One thing that would be interesting to see from your organization's perspective, what do you as an organization think needs to be done more legislatively um, and as a society as well? So... Some of the things that that we believe um, in response to you, but I think it's easiest to explain, first of all, what we do. So obviously we push our own, um, we try to get Hopeline UK out there as much as possible. We try to get the conversation around suicide out there as much as possible. So for us, the idea of more people can talk about it, the better it is. Um, But we also our training so we will train universities i've been to universities i've been to schools um different organizations about suicide prevention so again it's getting that message out there and then having that filter across the wider spectrum um we also have push campaigns so we have um a spot the signs spotting the signs of someone having uh thoughts of suicide so we, we push that on YouTube, we put things on, on, we have something called a hope walk. So it's, um, again, it's, it's engendering that conversation about suicide. But with regards to what could be done, what further support we'd like to see, I think that, that that's a really big topic. So when, when we first discussed this, we were going to talk about schools. So what we would like to see as an organisation, we'd probably like to see a lot more conversation in school about children's resilience and professional support, mm. allowing more schools to offer that professional support to young people um, in the UK. Yeah. And do you, what would you think the needs, the steps need to be done to do that then? Is this a process of having extra people there for people to support? Or is it a, repos- is it a process of setting out a programme that every school has, whether it's once a year, whether it's a couple of years, like what? What would you say, or what would your organisation say? It's a very difficult question, but yeah, it's, it is. Well, but as, a, as an as an SPA, give me both of those things. I don't, you know, and and I in, in a perfect world, why not have professional support? Why not have somebody going into schools delivering training? Why do we only? Why it would be great to have all those things. It'd be great to have. Um, Maybe either, you know, uh, 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 within every school, something around once a year, yes, every year gets trained or, or talk, a talk about suicide. Mm. Um, we offer that. We, we do, it's an organisation, we offer that to schools. 
um, but it's certainly not something that people have to do. And I think it's kind of it's it's understanding. It's 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 such a complicated question with regards to what because you can't just say again it's that sweeping one thing one size doesn't fit all mm. because if we're talking about schools we have different denomination denom I can't even say the word <laughs> denominations and faiths you know going on so is it would it would some schools may not think it's appropriate to talk about suicide full stop and so so then you would have to think of a different way to be able to support that school so one size doesn't fit all um but just getting the conversation out there in general is sometimes enough to save one person's life yeah and that's the most important thing um one thing i would i'd briefly like to talk about but i want to talk about as i think it'll be a lot of help for people um is the aspect of lockdown um not everyone might have heard this, but I've heard things, and it's. I just want to stress this from the start. Uh, any relation from what people are trying to say between suicide and people being in quarantine and lockdown is purely hypothetical at the minute. We don't know what will happen and what may happen. Um, and what I'd like to say about this is the fact that if you have been feeling these thoughts during lockdown, and if, whether long this has been that has been an influential factor of it, um. Tobias have, have are there for you. It could be some people are predicting that it's gonna it there will be an uh, increase of suicide as a result of the effect of the economy and being in a quarantine. That is not we don't know that yet, and it'd be you can't initially presume this. Um, okay, so yeah, I can agree. I, I can agree with obviously we don't have if you're looking for the impact of COVID on mm. the. And, and the lockdown itself on suicide, whether it's going to increase, we can't say yes or no. Mm. But what we can say um, is around, and, and this is a statistic that we, we, we know is to be true, about 90% of our contacts right now are mentioning COVID, they are mentioning the pandemic in some way or another. Um, I think that the, the fact that they are mentioning it helps them with that loneliness we talked about before, it helps them to express what lockdown, how what impact that is having on them. Um, but a lot of them are too, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot about individuals talking about their health during the lockdown, especially mm. those people who have like an underlying health condition, because there's a lot mm. in the media about how that's affecting people and and, and not going outside, etc., and being literally uh, having to stay at home for. for virtually three months now. Other people are talking about their anxiety increasing, their depression, they're having panic attacks because of the pandemic. Um, they've talked about, I know we talked about it briefly earlier, they've talked about their um, loss of losing a job, you know, the finances, uh, worry of losing their homes, struggling with self-harm. Everything that we talked about today is still happening during the lockdown. Um, and also, one of the one of the bigger things that we do here as well that people aren't receiving support from services because of um, because of COVID and the lockdown, the pandemic itself. Because you know that that's a big issue mm. is that people don't get support anymore, or at the moment, sorry, I should say not anymore. <laughs> um, they they people talk about how lonely it is being not being able to see their partner, um, their family, their friends. So again. Those themes that we see 365 days a year are coming up throughout the pandemic, 
but it's it's complex because they're the same topics that are coming up every day anyway. You know what I mean? So the pandemic is something that is contributing to as a factor, but it's not just that one thing that we can say. It's definitely because of the pandemic. There may be there is there may be something else happening in that young person's life for them to feel like suicide is an option. I just want to say thank you for coming on not only for coming on and speaking about this uh, but i felt like i've learned so much just from this we as a service and, and myself as an spa we really appreciate the ability people like yourself who want to understand how to help somebody else and that's what you've done um you've you've called you, you came to ourselves for us to have a conversation about suicide and We've had that, and, mm. and it's been open, it's been frank, mm. and the one thing I hope that you get from this, no matter what comes across from the podcast, is the fact that you can talk about it. It's not a subject that should be hidden or that people should be ashamed of. It's something that we can talk about and that there is hope for the future for everyone. If anyone's listening that are having these thoughts, could you just give advice of where to go at the minute? Yeah, of course I can. So, um, you're going to have to give me one second there because I can never remember my own contact number. <laughs> That's fine. obviously I'm, I'm on the end of the line, so I never actually have to tell someone it. So, that's a very good thing. I, I should have prepped that one beforehand. So, start again. So, anybody who is um, experiencing thoughts of suicide um, or is concerned about someone who experiencing thoughts of suicide can call our service. Um, Hopeline UK, we're open 365 days a year, so that includes Christmas Day, includes New Year's Day, um, we pick up the phone. So we're available on 0800 068 4141. Um, we also have a text number, which is 07860 039967. And we have an email address, so that's pat, P-A-T, at but at the same time, if you you know you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, you don't remember all the things I'm saying right now. Just go online and Google support for suicidal thoughts, and you'll find a service out there that will help you. If you feel like you aren't able to keep yourself safe, speak to someone. Contact the emergency services. Speak to NHS one one one. You're not alone, and we're here to help. And that's that's what you you know hopefully comes across from this is that we want to help and we're here for you. Thank you for doing that. And finally as well is how can we help you? So maybe not people that are having these thoughts, maybe as well, how can we as an organised society and just anyone out there that's thinking, all right, I, want to, I support this message of what you've said. Uh, we want to help. What can we do to help? Okay, cool. So with regards to Papyrus, obviously um, spread this podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, talk about the fact that you've listened to this. That's great. I mean, apart from the fact that, one, you've listened to this, you hopefully they've taken on a different message in general. Talk to people about the fact that you've heard this podcast and the conversation between myself and yourself. Um, spread that we have a social media activity. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. So all those different aspects, share them, you know. You don't, as I said before, the, the positive aspect of social media is that if someone sees that number they may not have known that there is somewhere they can go so just by you clicking and sharing once it has a cascading ripple effect 
to it. Other people, a myriad of people we don't know about. Um, there's fundraising you can do with our organisation. There is volunteering you can do. Just have a look at having a look at the Papyrus website and it's becoming familiar with being able to have that conversation. I think that, the, you know, ultimately it all boils down to the best thing you can do is make yourself aware and understand that you can ask someone, are you having thoughts of suicide? And be comfortable with asking someone. It doesn't, you know, I'm pushing, I'll push Papyrus and I'll push Hopeline UK, um, but even if you don't remember the name of our organisation, just remember that you can talk about suicide and it's not a bad thing to talk about. What a fantastic way to end it on. Like, thank you for... <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, sure. man, I really should have written that down. <laughs> you nailed it anyways. Um, right, well, thank you for coming on. You've been, no, it's been a pleasure, pleasure having mate. you. I really enjoyed it. So I, I'm really grateful for, your, for, the, for you getting in touch, mate. It's been great. And like I said, if it, anyone listening to this, please just share the whole plan of Pyrus website. Um, get the message out there, um, and please, and just it, it is it, everyone. Let's just all be nicer to each other more than anything, and look after each other. Um, that's a bit of a sentimental aspect, but thank you for coming on. Not a problem at all. Thank you, Harris. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to like, share, and subscribe, and give the show a five star rating on all the podcast apps. If you need someone to speak to or are worried about someone after listening to the show feel free to contact Papyrus on 0800 068 4141 or you can text them on 078 600 3967 or email them at pat at papyrus-uk.org